Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. You know what's really funny about that is I'm not sure what just happened, <laughs> but we've all been there. <laughs> I mean, we might not know exactly what got said, but we've certainly been in that conversation once or twice. And I think when we begin to talk about communication and the blind spots of communication, there's a couple of things that really matter significantly, and that is that our opinion of words and how they work and the Scripture's opinion of words and how they work are not the same thing. Uh, that there's two different planes, and, and I'm not suggesting that you have to buy into the whole mentality of the Scripture, but at least we ought to be aware of it. Because the Scripture has an idea about the power of words that we don't necessarily share in our culture. So, so let me give you a little example as we've been talking about uh, the dysfunctional, dysfunctional patriarchal family. And uh, I shared with you last week about the fact that so uh, Isaac is going to speak the blessing and the blessing belongs to the firstborn, who is Esau, but he sold his birthright to Jacob through deception. And, and now Jacob and Rebekah have conspired to get Isaac to bless Jacob because it's the second part of the birthright. And so they're deceiving Jacob. So this is the scene now. Jacob has come. Uh, he's disguised as his brother Esau. He has on his clothes so he smells right. He has on goat skin so he's hairy like his brother. And uh, Isaac, who can't see has now decided that it is the son he chooses to bless, and now he's going to speak the blessing. So here you are, Genesis 27. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and may those who bless you be blessed. And so he speaks the blessing. Right in the middle of all of this process and deception and dysfunction that's gone on, Isaac is speaking the blessing over Jacob. Now immediately he finds out that it's the wrong son, Genesis twenty-seven thirty. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to his father, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And his father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a confusing scene to me. I mean... Aside from all of the family dysfunction that's going on in this moment, this is confusing to me. Because immediately Esau shows up and says, you blessed the wrong son. Now in my way of thinking, why doesn't he simply say, oh, well then I unbless him. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> well, you get him back in here. <laughs> you drag him in here by his ear. We will straighten this out right now. I will unbless him and I will bless you and it'll all work out. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on. Now, theologically, if you wanted to dig into this story deeper, heaven forbid, but if you wanted to, we could talk about the fact that Jacob was God's intended and, and that Isaac was stubbornly insistent through a process that he had to bless Esau and not Jacob. But that would be another conversation and it would be very involved. So let's keep it on the surface a little. 
The fact is, here we have a deception taking place, and we have Isaac blessing Jacob instead of Esau, and now he can't take it back. Indeed, his last words to Esau, and indeed, I just blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. I can't unbless him. We don't understand that, do we? That does not make sense in our mentality about words. But maybe I could just say this to you. There is no teaching in the Bible that suggests that we can repair the damage of the words we speak by attempting to retract them and somehow re-speak them. Now, we're going to go slow here. Because I want those words to sink in. I'm not saying that we culturally agree with everything or, or that it's even true. Because in, in the Bible, words have a life of their own. And they have a certain power of their own and, a, and almost a mystical magic of their own. And so when you read Scripture, you have to understand. So, so we'll hear this a lot. You know, we'll, we'll hear about the Word, the Word of God. The Word of God was spoken and God spoke these words. These words have power and impact. They have a life of their own. They're released into the universe, and they go about doing what they are supposed to do. You can't pull them back and keep them from accomplishing that which they were set to do. You can't regain them. There's no teaching in the Bible that suggests that we can repair the damage of the words we speak by attempting to retract them and somehow re-speak them. That's not to say we can't do repair work in relationships and that we're supposed to. It's just to say that the Bible doesn't think about, well, I'll just take that back, and it never happened. Because it did happen, and the words did land, and they did do damage. And there's no understanding that you can simply go, well, I take it back. Well, I was upset. Well, I was angry. Well, I was stressed. Well, I was tired. Well, you made me mad. There's no understanding in Scripture like that. In fact, I think it's why there are so many Scriptures that talk about the power of words. James 3.6, the tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I don't know who James knew. <laughs> I don't know who was in his inner circle, but wow. I mean, that, that's, just like, that's just like three verses. I mean... There's a whole chapter about this in James. And James is only four verses, four chapters long. So, just, I mean, he's very preoccupied. <laughs> Proverbs 11:9. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors. But through knowledge, the righteous escape. In other words, there is a knowledge and understanding in our brains that teach us not to say certain things. Not a single Amen. I'm just going to be quiet right now. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. That's true of us, isn't it? I mean, we love to have some juicy conversation about people. To, isn't that exciting? I mean, it just kind of makes you, oh, what happened? Oh. It's like a candy bar for your soul, isn't it? Hmm. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's... You got to read that one a few times. <laughs> Those who like to wield the power of life and death will eat the fruit of that mentality. Listen to this quote from Yehuda Berg. Words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. I I just think for a moment to stop and think about this reality. And I love the fact that she says in that quote that there's this opportunity for us to, to speak words that are encouraging and they bring life. And then the opposite of that is not negative words, it's words of despair. How often do we walk around talking about life as if it is a terrible thing and that is infectious in relationships and in the life of people because words have power words genuinely have power and how we speak and what we speak matters significantly and so when we jump into the story of Joseph and his brothers Jacob's 12 sons we get into this conversation where things are very tense in the family we talked about it last week so, so Joseph is gone, and he spied on his brothers, and he's taken the story back to his father, and, and, and he's tattled on his brothers. That never goes well. It never turns out well. And, and his father has sided with him. He's had sympathy for him. He's given him the coat of many colors. He's, he's really basically identified him as this, his heir of choice. And in his mind, I'm sure he's the firstborn of Rachel, his beloved wife, who didn't bear children until late. Uh, you, you know, there's a lot of family politics going on here. But needless to say, into this environment that's incredibly tense, now we have this little moment that comes. A moment in which something's going to happen, and Joseph is going to talk about it, and it's going to add layers and layers to the dysfunction. Because it turns out what we say and how we say it is fairly significant. So Joseph comes to his brothers, and the story's picked up in Genesis 37. Joseph had a dream, (laughs) and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Shocking. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. (laughs) We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. (laughs) Not sure why this didn't go better. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And listen to this. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. (laughs) Yeah. And he told this one to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. I would love to see the expressions on the faces of his brothers. I mean... Had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, I don't know about you, but into a very tense family situation, it seems to me that maybe this was not the best choice of action for Joseph. I I really don't understand why it didn't go better. Do you? I mean, on the outside, looking into this story, we can look at it and go, I I don't think this was the best choice. But we somehow have a hard time seeing that in our own story, don't we? I mean, sometimes we start into things that we're going to say, and we're just going to say it. And we haven't given a lot of thought to the dysfunctional environment or to the tension or to the rawness of the nerves of the people who are about to hear this thing that we feel like we need to say. And though we can see it plainly in Joseph, not good choices. We have a harder time seeing it in our own stories. So I see five things that I think are blind spots to communication that come out of this little story. Number one, it is possible to talk too much. It seems like somewhere we were taught that if it's in your brain, it must come out your mouth. Amen? And we have a lot of phrasing we use to make this true. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I'm just trying to tell you what happened. I'm just telling you my feelings. Well, no, you're laying an egg is what you're doing. You're throwing a hand grenade into the relationship is what you're doing. You might be speaking your truth, but I'm not sure you're speaking the truth. And so when I look at the story, I think, okay, so here's Joseph, and, and we know, you know, he's He's got a pretty bright future in his relationship with God and in his standing in the kingdom and in the narrative of Israel. Amen? I mean, there's a lot going on here. And we can look ahead and go, you better be nice to this guy. He's, he's somebody, but he's not somebody yet. In fact, when you start to think about this story, so he's got this dysfunction. His brothers already don't like him. And then he has a dream. And he comes, and I don't know, you know, that whole idea that you've got to tell your dreams because they don't always make sense, do they? So there's a couple of possibilities in, in, in Joseph telling this story. One possibility is that he's just ignorant. That he just lacks total sensitivity to the people around him. That he has zero EQ. You understand EQ? IQ, you have an intellectual ability to understand things. EQ, you have an emotional ability to understand things. You understand the emotional environment into which you're speaking. And, and all we can assume is that Joseph has zero EQ. That he doesn't get it. And he's just like a 17-year-old boy. <laughs> oh, boy, I had a dream. <laughs> Guess what? You guys are all bound down. <laughs> you know, like none of us would ever be like that, would we? The second possibility is that he knows exactly what he's doing. That, in fact, he's sending a passive-aggressive message. That, that what he wants to say is, look, you guys ain't treating me very well. And I'm just going to tell you that I had a dream. And I don't know what it means. But I'll just tell you the dream. And then you can figure out for yourself where you fit in. There were sheaves of grain. We were out in the field. My sheaves of grain rose up. All (laughs) y'all bowed down. I don't know what it means. But you better treat me better. Amen? Amen. And don't we do that? 
I mean, don't we come up with things to share in relationship and in conversation that has a point that we innocently share? Oh, I just read in the Bible today <laughs> that you should be nicer to me. <laughs> Amen? Because we communicate like that. And it is possible to talk too much. It is possible that sometimes, you know, in relationships especially, that we're just over-talking it. We're over-saying it. We're letting every thought that got into our head. You know, there is a definition of what goes on between what's happening in our thoughts and what's coming out our mouths. That there's a filter in between those things. Anybody know what it's called? Maturity. Maturity. Should I say this? Is this the right thing to say? Is this the right time to say it? Is this going to be taken well? Does this make me look good and does it suddenly put everybody else down? I shouldn't talk that way because words have power. And then, and then what do we say when we're in those situations? I didn't mean it like that. Well, if you're going to take it that way, there is no place in Scripture that suggests that we can heal the harm of our words by retracting our words and restating them. The scripture doesn't understand that. It just understands that when we speak words, they land and they create either health and unity or disease and disunity. And so that's going on. Number two, everybody doing okay? I, I, uh, I don't know why these sermons get written but it's always at this moment where you're like, yeah, this is too heavy. We should probably stop. We should probably stop with something like, and bless you all, and go and have a wonderful day. Oh, good. You do know when she speaks words like that, it just eggs me on. I mean, I had... Number two, it's possible to use God's words to hurt others. So it's going to turn out that these dreams are prophetic dreams that belong at the heart of God. It turns out these dreams are going to be actually deeply meaningful in the prophetic vision of what's going to happen. And yet, they are still used to bring about harm and destruction. And now, we don't always know that the words that we are speaking are God's own words, do we? I mean, sometimes we act like we know, but generally speaking, we don't know that. But it turns out that if you don't take anything else away from this lesson is this reality that Joseph is relating an actual vision of God. This is the real thing. We're not going to know until some decades later how vividly real these dreams are, how prophetically powerful they are. We're not going to know that for a long time. But it turns out no matter how sacred the message, what we say and how we say it, and when we say it, and to whom we say it, and in the context in which we speak it, it turns out we can take the most pristine of God's messages and turn them into something destructive by not paying attention to how they are delivered. Sometimes we suffer in the kingdom of God and in the life of the church because we believe if our cause is righteous, then our words are automatically righteous. But they are not. Righteous words can be delivered in ways that harm instead of help. 
because humans are still receivers of the message. You ever wonder why God was formed in human flesh and dwelt among us? Came as a baby? Because God's assumption is that human beings are drawn into vulnerability and are pushed away from power. And somehow we in the life of the church have not really understood that. That the church has practiced power in ways that can deliver the righteous message of God in ways that create divisiveness and destruction instead of unity and help. And a lot of it is just a refusal to be vulnerable. We don't have all the answers, amen? I, I don't know that people inside the church are emotionally, spiritually that much healthier. In fact, if you really look at the studies, the studies tell us that you know, the, the, the psychological health of people who go to church versus the psychological health of people who don't go to church, about the same. Survival of marriages inside the church, survival of marriages outside the church, about the same. You don't see significant differences, and yet we walk around like, well, we've got to figure it out. Instead of, man, we're on a journey, <laughs> and we're trying to learn, and we're trying to listen and be sensitive to God, and I can't give you advice but I can tell you what's happening to me I can be a witness I can tell you what happened I can't tell you what I don't know but I can tell you what I saw I can tell you what happened to me I was called to be a witness to something I was not called to be a theological genius I was called to tell my story and to humbly reveal my vulnerabilities so that we might do this journey of life together and even delivering the word of God can be used to hurt others number three it's possible for our egos to subvert even good news so it turns out that this vision this dream these two dreams are to be a great source of hope to this family I mean if you just step back and you said listen some terrible things are gonna happen out there in the future some terrible things are gonna happen life-threatening kinds of things Biblically cataclysmic things are going to happen. There's going to be seven years of famine and there's going to be no food to eat. And, and, and this vision, this dream has a reassuring layer to it, which is you will be in power in a way to take care of your family. You don't need to worry. I got this. It's all going to work out. Now, they can't see all of that right now. But it is possible that maybe in the process of the dreams and the work of the Holy Spirit inside of Joseph and inside of a family, when we don't let our egos get all jacked up and out of control, that maybe there was a message of hope for this family, you think, in this moment? Maybe there was some reassurance that was coming, but because their egos had gotten so out of shape... Because Joseph's ego had gotten so out of shape, because the brothers' egos had gotten so out of shape that they could not hear the good news of the message because they had descended into a place of relational politics. It was about us and them. It was about me and you. It was about win-lose. And if Joseph had a dream in which he was winning, then everybody else was losing. What a sad thing. I don't know about you, but, but how would you feel? If somebody in your family was receiving direct revelation from God. I mean, I'd kind of be thinking like, cool. I mean, good. You know, come on. Tell me some more. God's speaking to you profoundly. Let good. 
That's hopeful. We're related to you. That'd be like a win-win, wouldn't it? But sometimes our relational politics, we descend into relationships and places in our lives where it's win-lose. Oh, you're winning? Well, that's a loss for me. Oh, something good happened to you? Well, that's terrible. Why doesn't anything good ever happen to me? I don't really understand. Why is God blessing you and not blessing me? I don't really understand. It's not fair. Life's not fair. You know what? I don't even know what God's doing anymore. Why is he blessing you and not me? I try hard. I work hard. Amen? And isn't it interesting, you know, the scripture doesn't say, I want you to talk better. It doesn't say, I want you to be on a journey in which you learn to talk better. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want you to be different. (laughs) I want you to have a different heart and a different way of looking at life and a different way of thinking so that when you open your mouth, what comes out is the fruit of what's going on inside. I want this to get lined up. I want you to lay your ego down. So that when you speak, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Some things have to change. You have to change the way you feel. You have to open that feeling up and say, God, we got to get these feelings fixed. Because these feelings are angry and, and, and hurt and bitter and harmed. It's all in here. And these thoughts... These thoughts are seeing life and people and situations and circumstances. There's almost no way that I'm going to be okay based on these feelings and these thoughts. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on Him. My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. At some point, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Somewhere we got to get this stuff lined up in a way that we're not just trying to speak good words. We're trying, to, we're trying to feel appropriately about circumstances. We're having a mature way of looking at things. We're trying to think differently. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what God's will is, is good and perfect and pleasing will because we're all a little brain damaged. Because life does that, doesn't it? It does that. And so it's possible for our egos to subvert even the good news. Number four, it's possible to adopt an attitude that hears only the negative. I think this is fascinating. So the brothers don't like Joseph. Joseph is never, ever, 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 ever going to say anything good, ever, because they've decided. In fact, if you follow the story, and we're going to, (laughs) it's going to be decades later, and there's going to be unbelievable things that are going to happen until every one of the brothers are going to come to a moment in which they are completely broken, and it will only be at this moment of their complete brokenness that they can see Joseph in a different way, and really... They're at a point where they believe that everything they hold sacred is about to go away. And that's when they get serious about, you know, it's fear. I mean, (laughs) oh, oh. And it's possible. I, I understand that there is a whole lot of what we say that is about how we say it. And that we're responsible as the speaker of words. But listen, we're also responsible as hearers. 
Because once we have decided on somebody, once we have labeled them, once we have put them in a certain place, we're only going to hear through that filter. And the great hope of life is that we get to grow up. I, I think you guys know this. I, I, I did not grow up in California. I mean, I've been growing up in California for a long time now, but <laughs> I guess that's not entirely true. My second life growing up was here in California. You know, I came at 28, so hopefully I've grown up a little bit since then. I've certainly grown older since then. But I grew up in Texas, and then I went to college in Oklahoma City. I went to grad school in Kansas City. Uh, and uh, I, I have uh, buddies who serve in churches in those areas. And you know what my thought is? Thank God I'm a long way from there. Amen? Amen. I mean, I don't want to pastor the people I went to college with. That, that would be awkward. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not that guy anymore. I don't want to pastor with people I went to high school with. You know, I mean, I was clueless. It was the mid-70s. Elephant bells were in. People are like, elephant bells? What is he talking about? How many of you know what an elephant bell is? Older people help the younger people. You used to have bell-bottom jeans that were called elephant bells. They covered your, I mean... If you ran fast enough, you could lift off the ground. You never bought new shoes because nobody ever saw them. It's so important. So, sometimes people say to me, what is it like to pastor the same church for 31 years? Well, here's one thing that it's like. People who've been around from the beginning, they still remember what a mess I was. Because you know what? Most people get to go for four or five years, learn some stuff, and then take their mature self to another place. And then they learn some stuff in four or five years. They take, and nobody knows them except in their present form. So they can walk around at this stage of life and go, I'm all this. <laughs> but that's not true when you stay in one place anymore. They'll go, remember, hey, you remember when you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, I do remember. Most of it's on video somewhere. I mean, one of the things I'm most thankful for is we just don't use VHS anymore because there are videotapes out there. I, I played a cat one time in the Christmas production right here on this stage. Father Cat. I don't know. That's just weird. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder how many of us don't allow the people around us to grow up. We don't allow the people to mature. We don't allow them to change because we've labeled them. We decided who they are in our story and in our life. And we're not letting them change. And it doesn't matter what they say, it's going to be negative. Because we decided. Because we have them marked as a certain person in our story and we're not letting them change. Now, I know that there are some people out there in difficult relationships and right now that your insides are creeping around on you. So let me just take a deep breath for you, okay? I understand about boundaries. And I understand that there are people that speak destructively into our lives, and so we put up boundaries to say, you're not going to get to hurt me like that anymore. And all I would say to you is that is a great way to live, and you should do that, and you should be mature like that, and you should protect yourself like that. I only ask this one thing. Be sure you're reviewing the boundaries. Because sometimes the boundaries need to be reinforced. <laughs> 
Sometimes you need to go, you know what? I've looked at this, and I decided I'm going to put up a second set of boundaries because it turns out you are not headed in the right direction, and it's getting worse, not better. Amen? I mean, I'm just talking about real stuff, okay? But sometimes we're able to say, you know what? Maybe I at least need to put a gate in the fence because I see movement. I see something changing. And it has to be that our hope is for people to grow up. It has to be that our hope is that people are going to change over time and they're going to mature. And if they don't, we learn to deal with that in healthy ways. But it's up to us to try to hear differently as people make the effort to change, as people make the effort to move forward. Number five, and this is the last one. It is possible to talk less and think more. It's possible to talk less and think more. So in the middle of this story, he goes and he tells the second dream about the sun and the moon and all the stars bowing down to him. And, and, and uh, Jacob says, even your mom and I are going to bow down and all your brothers? And then it's just almost out of context. Because the next thing it says is, and Jacob kept these things in his mind. He stewed on them. He thought about them. And, and it's going to be interesting. I, you know, good, good for Jacob. In all the family dysfunction at this moment, he chooses to just think about it, to let it dwell in his mind, to let him turn it over. And somewhere down the road, it's going to come to fruition that, that this dream is going to become a reality. And, and don't you want to be that person at the other end of that story that goes, well, you know what? I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I kept my mouth shut. And I just thought about it. I talked less and I thought more. Because I don't know what all it means. I don't know where life is going. I don't know, I don't know who's right and wrong. Anybody else have that problem now? Yeah. You know, my kids are growing up and they have ideas I don't have. They know things I don't know. So they tell me stuff and I want to go, you know what my instant reaction is? Well, that's dumb. <laughs> that's not me. It's not my generation. It's not how I think. It's not how I look. That's just dumb. But, you know, isn't it good to talk less and think more, especially with your children, who may turn out to be way smarter than we are? Amen. Let me rephrase that. Who already are way smarter than we are. <laughs> Amen? Amen? My kids know so much more than I knew at their age. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they are so much more savvy about so many things than I was. I... I was just naive about so much. And I just think for us, how often are we in situations where it feels like the pressure is, well, let me, let me, let me speak, let me get, blah, blah, blah. And how often we need to talk less and think more. Let me just turn that over. Let me just give that some thought. I learned a long time ago, I don't know if you know, but sometimes when I'm out or even here at the end of church, people will walk out and they'll say something to me on the way out the door, you know, or I'll be at the grocery store trying to buy a gallon of milk and somebody will walk up to me and say, hey, Pastor Dave, and they'll say something to me. And, and you know, in the old days, I'd just say, uh, here's the answer. <laughs> but I learned that is not a good idea, <laughs> you know. So now, you know, I say things like, well... Let me pray about that for a while. Let me think about that and let me get back to you because I'm not sure. Because it turns out that if I answer in this moment, 
uh, I could be in all kinds of hurt that I'll have to undo later because I'm really not thinking right this minute. And then I think if that's true logistically about little things, how much more is it true in the depths of our relationship where somebody's talking to us about somebody important and instead of stopping and saying, you know what, why don't we stop this conversation? Because I really need to think about it for a while because I don't, I, I, my emotions are getting in the way. I don't know exactly. I, what if we talked less right now? There's nothing sacred. If it's in our brain, it doesn't mean it has to come out of our mouth. Why don't we let our brains filter for a while? Let's go away, let's think about it, let's come back together, and let's really have a good conversation. Because it's okay to talk less and to think more. I wonder as we talk about this and the blind spots of communication, is because I believe that as we've talked about this this morning, the Holy Spirit puts some stuff out there, you know. I, I don't think there's a single thing in I, Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite authors of all time, and he wrote a great book called The Alphabet of Grace. And in it, he talks about this reality, that for us in, who speak the English language, we have 26 letters in our alphabet. And how those 26 letters are formed tell every story we have to tell. They tell our history, our philosophy, our theology, our relationship story, our psychology, our art, our literature, the arrangement of these 26 letters, so finite, 26 letters, <laughs> so finite, and handed off to human beings to traffic in the great wisdom and depth of what it means to be a human. And most of us don't write. We don't sit down and write a lot of stuff. Most of us traffic in these 26 letters by the words we speak, in very real time, by the words that are coming out of our mouth, it is the most powerful gift given to humanity, this ability to speak and communicate. It is a sacred trust. It matters. It matters. It matters when you feel good, and it matters when you don't feel good, and it matters when you wake up, and when you're in a bad mood, and when you're in a good mood, and when things are going well, and when things are not going well. In fact, it defines so much of the reality of our existence that the Bible suggests that how we speak has a great deal to do with the quality of the lives we live and the quality of the relationships we share, just the words we choose and how we choose to arrange them and how we choose to deliver them. And I don't know about you, it is so easy to be negative. It is so easy to complain. It's so easy to talk about what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with relationships and what's wrong with our family and what's wrong with our kids and what's wrong with our parents. And It's so easy. Because why? Because it makes us anxious. And we don't like to be anxious. We want to get it out. But what if we started to speak a different reality? Because there's another reality that takes a little more energy and effort to get to. But the scripture suggests that you and I are invited to a place of faith where we trust that in all things God's working for our good. In all things, he's bringing it together, not pushing it apart. In this very story, we're going to hear this over and over, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. It doesn't even matter if the people around us are trying to hurt us. Even in that situation, God is going to take what was intended for evil and use it for good. That's a different way of thinking. We're going to close and we're going to sing that song again. May the words of my mouth.
Bless your name. Bless your name, Jesus. Let's say a prayer. God, would you help us? We are so human when it comes to the vulnerability of our words. We want to choose well. We want to communicate well. We want to bring hope and life. We recognize that habits get created. We get into a process by which we speak in certain pathways and thought processes. And you're inviting us to speak words of life. So I just pray as we close these moments together, whether we're in this room or in any other place, would you just allow us to respond to your Holy Spirit? Would you speak in specific ways about how this message applies to each one of us? So that as we close and we sing these words together, they are genuinely our prayer. Hear us, we pray. And lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Let's stand as we respond to the word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.